Good morning, church family. Again, I bring you greetings and good news. Pastor Ryan will be back in the pulpit next week. I know that's a time cause to, to celebrate. We are uh, thankful that he has successfully completed his sabbatical. And I'd like to thank all of our speakers that have uh, filled in for him while he's been getting this much net needed period of rest and renewal. I think I can speak for all of us when I say that we'll be happy um, to have him and his family back with us next week. I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's word to Psalm 119. We'll be reading from verses 65 through 72 this morning. Many of you have the heading Tet, which is the ninth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so we'll be reading from Psalm 119, 65 through 72. Let's stand together as we read the word of the Lord. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with hearts and minds open to your word this morning. Would you use this passage to instruct us in how to respond when we are in seasons of affliction? Whether it be personal affliction caused by our own choices, affliction by others that may appear unjust or unfounded to us, or simply other seasons in life that cause us pain? Would you teach us how to respond in all areas of affliction in our lives? Ultimately, God, we ask that you point us to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who is able to give us hope beyond anything this world can offer. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of today's message is The Afflicted Life. Now, a few messages back in our series in Psalm 119, this would have taken us back to last summer, Pastor Ryan preached on a similar topic in a message he titled, titled The Persecuted Life. If you're like me, you looked at the title of today's message and thought, hmm, could be some similarities. Well, you'd be right. Um, however, there are some differences between affliction and persecution. And we're looking at different, a different section of scripture this morning. So while the ultimate lesson or application may have some similarities, there is enough difference in today's passage to show us another lesson. So let's define our terms here. After consulting the esteemed academic Google, affliction is defined as something that causes pain or suffering or simply pain and or suffering. Persecution, however, is defined as hostility and ill treatment, especially on the basis of ethnicity, religion, or belief, a persistent annoyance or harassment. So we can see from these definitions that our focus today will be on the instruction of the Lord through pain and suffering, or simply affliction. By a show of hands, how many of us liked vegetables as a child? Interesting, okay. 
Now, how many of us like them now as adults? Okay, more hands. I bet there could be a study done on this to find out how many adults who like vegetables today have done a complete 180 from their, their viewpoint when they were children. You see, many children dislike vegetables. I was one of them. Yet as parents, we encourage them to eat them anyway. Why? Because they're good for you. My kids love vegetables, which is great because they didn't get that from me. Growing up, if it wasn't green beans, peas, or no vegetable at all, it was likely going to be a rough dinner for me. Yet every meal, whether I wanted to or not, I ate those vegetables at the instruction of my parents. Why? Well, for one, I was a busy kid and I wasn't getting up from the table until they were gone. And I had stuff to do, like getting my homework done before the next episode of Airwolf or MacGyver came on. But ultimately, they were good for me. My parents instructed me of that, that they were healthy for me. So while I considered my having to eat vegetables as a minor period of affliction, ultimately, it was producing good for me. So today, we're going to look at how affliction can be good for us, not necessarily our perspective in the midst of it or in the moment of it, but when we come through it, it ultimately produces something good. So our main idea for today is the Lord instructs us through his word in all circumstances, including affliction. Let's begin with verse 65. You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Right out of the gate, the psalmist makes quite the statement. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Could you imagine saying that to your parents after they made you eat a plate of boiled Brussels sprouts? The idea here is that the Lord is good. Even when we encounter affliction, it is for our good because he is good. While it may not feel good at the time, it can produce something inherently good for us. Much like eating vegetables as children produces healthy benefits for us, gives us vitamins needed to grow, etc., the instruction of the Lord through affliction is good for us. David's posture here is one of gratitude and humility. And it establishes that the Lord has dealt well with him. Even though his life had been marked by various trials and suffering, especially as he dealt with the consequences of his sinful actions. His afflictions made him realize that the Lord is faithful to his word and the ultimate fulfillment of true good. Reverend J. Brown says this, no doubt I have met with trials as well as others, yet so kind has God been to me that I think if he were to give me as many years as I have already lived in the world, I should not desire one single circumstance in my lot changed, except that I wish I had less sin. Our first point today, for today is perspective in the midst of affliction. Often when we encounter pain and suffering, it can come on suddenly, consumes us to the point that it can overwhelm us with despair and angst. It's important to give pause and remember a few things that help us have perspective in the midst of affliction. Number one, the instruction of the Lord is for our good. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 say, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And for many of us, when we encounter an affliction, 
we encounter discipline, correction, or reproof, our first reaction is to get defensive or to disapprove. But the psalmist reminds us that the Lord deals well with us. Likewise, in this passage in Proverbs, we are encouraged to not despise the discipline of the Lord. There is good and wisdom in the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because he loves us. And just as a father instructs and disciplines his child so they grow and learn, the Lord wants us to receive his instruction because it is ultimately for our good and for our growth because he loves us as his children. So we must seek the Lord in the midst of affliction through his word, through prayer, and with all humility. Charles Spurgeon says this, very little is to be learned without affliction, but if we would be scholars, we must be sufferers. As the Latins say, experientia docet, experience teaches. There is no royal road to learning the royal statutes. God's commands are best read by eyes wet with tears. Continuing in the book of Proverbs, we move over to Proverbs 15, 32 and 33. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Often when we encounter pain and suffering in this life, the question we like to ask is why? Why me? Why now? Why is this happening? We're defensive. In this passage in Proverbs, we gain some insight into our posture during affliction. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. If we but humble ourselves before the almighty God and seek his instruction in wisdom, perhaps we gain a different perspective. Maybe we view our affliction through a different lens. It may not answer the question of why outright, but it may help us grow in wisdom to consider that whatever affliction looks like in our lives, the Lord is using it for our good, to grow us, to strengthen us, and to remind us that he is with us through it all. We just sang about that. One thing we know for certain is that none of us are immune to affliction. But if we encounter affliction, we know that we have a place to go for comfort, amen? For encouragement, and for perspective. In fact, James encourages us in this thought when he writes in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea of testing in this passage refers to something that was used to test coins to see if they were genuine. One scholar said that the aim of this testing process is not to destroy or to afflict, but to purge and refine. See, even in the midst of affliction, we can find good as we are being strengthened through it. He continues, the idea of steadfastness in this passage or patience goes beyond the idea of bearing affliction it includes the idea of standing fast under pressure with a staying power that turns adversities into opportunities. Based on what we've read so far, I would say that the adversities we encounter during seasons of affliction should draw us to the word of God to seek instruction so that we can see the opportunity for growth 
in the midst of affliction. Next, the instruction of the Lord produces spiritual fruit. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. We find instruction of the Lord in his word, And it is a delight to be in it, to meditate on it, to write it on our hearts, to remind ourselves of the promises of God, that he is with us, that we can take refuge in him, that we have safety and comfort and hope in him. His word is sufficient. We don't need the counsel of the wicked. We don't need to fall into sin or to scoff at others. We need only to trust in the Lord and trust that his word is true and that it does not return void. If we would but seek his word, meditate on it, and allow it to grow us, to strengthen us, to produce fruit within us, we will find that there is grace, there is comfort, and there is hope amidst affliction. Paul writes in Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church family, I don't know what seasons of affliction all of you are going through. Some of you may be maxed out on the affliction scale. Some of you may have a little bit of affliction, but you're handling it. Can this passage in Romans just offer us all a little bit of encouragement this morning? Paul tells us that through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Because of that wonderful, glorious grace we also have cause to rejoice because in that grace, we have the hope of the glory of God. And because we have that hope, we can rejoice in our affliction as well. As we've read in our previous passages, it all comes together knowing that affliction produces steadfastness or patience and endurance, which keep us focused on the hope that we have in Christ. See, no matter what the weight of suffering or pain, no matter how hard it is for those of us who are in Christ, we have cause to rejoice through that affliction because we have the gift of grace from Christ and that grace gives us hope. So our perspective in our affliction should be to run to the word of God, to be reminded of his promises, to be reminded of the gift of grace that we have in him and to be reminded of the eternal hope we have in him to recognize that as we grow through his instruction, it produces spiritual fruit in us as we understand that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, there is instruction in the midst of affliction. Let's look at verses 66 through 71 of our text this morning. 
It reads, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. David declares in this section that he believes God's word to be true and necessary. So he asks to be taught more. He wants to understand it through the lens of righteousness because he recognizes that the instruction of the Lord is good, produces good, and reveals right understanding of his goodness. There are a couple types of afflictions present in this passage. We see affliction by others and we see affliction, uh, personal affliction. Personal affliction is obviously referenced in verse 67 and affliction by others is referenced in verses 69 and 70. And first we see that the Lord instructs us in the midst of personal affliction to restore us to him. Let's take a look at 66 through 68. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good to do good. Teach me your statutes. Let's get right to it and address the elephant in the room. What does he mean when he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word? I'm glad you asked. Uh, because I asked the same question in my study for the, this message, and I found a great answer to this question. Um, Charles Spurgeon in his Treasury of David, which I highly recommend you read, um, suggests the following about this first part of verse 68. And I quote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, partly, perhaps, through the absence of trial. Often, our trials act as a thorn hedge to keep us in good, the good pasture, but our prosperity is a gap through which we go astray. If any of us remember a time in which we had no trouble, we also probably recollect that then grace was low and temptation was strong. It may be that some believer cries, oh, that it were with me as in those summer days before I was afflicted. Such is a sigh, or such a sigh is most unwise and arises from the carnal love of ease. The spiritual man who prizes growth in grace will bless God that those dangerous days are over. And if that weather be more stormy, it is also more healthy. He goes on to say that perhaps David would never have confessed his own strayings if he had not smarted under the rod. So does that mean that every time we encounter affliction, it's because we've strayed? Not necessarily. There are times when living in this sinful world, the sin of others causes us pain and suffering. And we'll get to that in a minute. But it could be, and it could be, that our own sinful actions have led us astray and the consequences of those sinful actions result in personal affliction. Perhaps those thorn hedges of affliction serve as a measure of grace to keep us from pushing on into sin all the more and remind us to be grounded in the word, to seek the Lord's instruction and to seek after him, as David explains in this passage. The result of his affliction is that he now keeps the word of the Lord. He understands that the Lord intended it for good, so he asks the Lord to teach him. 
Psalm 130 gives us an example of a cry of repentance as one who is afflicted recognizes the need for godly instruction. And it reads, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. There is hope in the Lord because he offers forgiveness and grace. In the case of our text this morning, David is celebrating that, recognizing that the Lord has been good to him through his affliction. Because of his affliction, he returned to the word of God. He humbled himself and relied on God. He hopes in the word of God, knowing that God is good and true and that his word is true. And he understands that there is hope beyond this life. We just spent the last 10 weeks talking about the vanity and the foolishness of pursuing worldly things in this life to find hope outside of Christ. The only hope we have is in Christ and Christ alone because he is the living hope. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. From the time of David to the time Peter wrote this letter, not much has changed in the way of affliction, and that extends to present day. But the Lord instructs us in the midst of affliction. Just as David found hope in the instruction of the Lord, Peter encourages us through his letter that affliction tests our faith and strengthens us because of the hope we have in Christ. When we encounter affliction in this life, as believers in Christ, we are to remember that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And no matter what we're going through, Christ has overcome it. Christ suffered immeasurable pain and suffering and affliction because of his love for you and for me. And because of that, we can have hope and trust that his word is true. The Lord also instructs us in the midst of affliction by others to produce strong faith. Let's look at verses 69 and through 71. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Have you ever been the victim of someone lying about you, 
someone telling falsehoods, impugning your character, reputation to others. It stings a little bit, doesn't it? It carries a weight with it because it's personal. It's hurtful because we know the truth. We know the things that are being said are lies, but often we can't get out ahead of it, ahead of the falsehoods to clear our name. It results in some pain and suffering. This is an example of affliction caused by others. And it happened to David. We can see as we continue that even though they smeared him with lies, he kept the precepts of the Lord with his whole heart. You see, he understood that the hearts of wicked were fat with pride, envy, and slander. But he recognized that his heart took delight in the law of the Lord. And for that, he held strong in the midst of affliction brought on by others and sought the Lord all the more. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4 say the following. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. When we encounter affliction of this kind, we must seek God's instruction because his word teaches us proper response to this type of affliction through Christian character, spiritual fruit, and Christ-like attitudes. One commentator broke this down and came up with a list of responses to this type of affliction. Number one, live so as to prove them lies. Number two, be not by them cast down or discouraged in the path of duty, but heroically address yourself to your duty. Three, bear such trials patiently and do not render lies for lies, slander for slander, or even reviling for slander. Number four, commit your case to him that judges righteously. Five, be thankful if your enemies have not any further power against you. Six, expect such things and be prepared for them. Seven, honestly inquire whether you are suffering for Christ's sake and with Christ's temper and are giving no occasion for such treatment. Eight, if you have a good conscience, humbly and in the name of God, defy the wicked to do their utmost. To sum this list up, live righteously and with humility. Do not be surprised when the world acts like the world and seek after the Lord with all thanksgiving and joy. In Psalm 25, 19 through 21, David says, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. This is a prayer for circumstantial deliverance, but also for personal deliverance. David does not want to react to hatred with hatred. Rather, he asks the Lord to allow him to maintain his integrity and uprightness. Does this response kind of sound familiar to the list that we just read? Again, God's word gives us instruction in the midst of affliction. Our third and final point for today is that value, there is value found in the midst of affliction. 
If you're like me, you likely want affliction to be over as soon as it begins. And we probably aren't, all aren't too keen to look for the value in it either, are we? Let's look at verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You know what you don't see in this verse? A monetary figure or some sort of currency to gauge the specific value or amount. No, it simply says more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And this is on purpose to demonstrate the incalculable value of God's word. It's to say that the word of God is more valuable than anything else because it is, it, it is good for us in all circumstances. Look with me at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word instructs us in all circumstances, including affliction, but it's good to teach us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness that we may be built up to be complete. Timothy didn't need to be reminded of the inspiration of God's word as that was already well understood. However, there is an encouragement in this passage as one commentator puts it, the Christian minister has in his hands a God-given instrument designed to equip him completely for his work. This is true for the minister. It is also true for us as Christians when it comes to the instruction of the Lord. The word of God provides valuable insights direction, and counsel in all areas of life, including affliction. As we have observed already this morning, therefore, it is vital to the life of a Christian to seek it out and to seek the instruction of the Lord in all seasons. Secondly, the word of God withstands the test of time. Isaiah 40, six through eight says, a voice says cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Read it with me. But the word of our God will stand forever. Church, there's a wonderful picture painted for us here in this passage. And here in the middle of July... In Tidewater, Virginia, we can observe this very readily. With this heat, it's not too far of a stretch to see how the grass withers, the flowers fade, or droop, or even die. Our lawns turn brown, unless you have Bermuda grass. Things just wither. That's the point Isaiah is making here. The things of this world pass away. They wither, they fade, they do not last. But, he says, the word of God lasts forever. It does not return void. It has power. It gives instruction. It speaks truth. It gives comfort. It convicts. It brings peace. It gives hope. And it does that over and over and over again because it is active and living. So when the heat comes in this life through affliction, take refuge. Go to the Lord in prayer. Read his word, gain wisdom and instruction and allow the Lord to work in your life because his word is priceless. And if you need further endorsement of this, 
listen to the words of David. The word of God has value. Let's go back a hundred chapters into Psalm 19, verses seven through 11. He says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. David clearly recognizes the value of the word of God, so much so that he writes a song about it in this psalm. He declares the value of the word of God for all circumstances, including affliction. The divine word enriches the souls of men. One scholar put it this way. Wealth can heal no wounded spirit, cheer no sinking soul, give hope to no desponding mind, defend against none of the worst ills of life, point no weary traveler to the way of rest, give no assurance of happiness beyond the grave. God's word can do all these things and a thousand times more. So what? When we encounter suffering, affliction or trials, it should drive us to the word of God to seek the Lord's instruction. Church, God has given us great comfort in his word, amen? He has given us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given us hope that we, we can experience every day, regardless of how much pain or suffering we endure each day. We can still have hope knowing that for those of us who are in Christ, we have an eternity waiting for us without affliction. Paul says this in his second letter to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Church, we will encounter affliction in this life. We have pain in this life. We suffer in this life, but we press on through it with the hope of the gospel, knowing that Jesus has overcome it all. What a better example of someone enduring affliction than Jesus? Jesus endured the insolent, smearing him with lies. Not only that, he was arrested and put through an unjust trial for those lies against him. He remained focused on his duty nonetheless and his purpose. He remained steadfast in his mission. Not only was he tried unfairly, he was then beaten beyond recognition. And if that wasn't enough, he was made to carry his cross to Calvary where he was then nailed to that cross and crucified. Yet there he continued to remain focused on his work. And after he gave up his spirit, he was then stabbed just to make sure. 
and then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But you know what? Three days later, he rose again and he was victorious over all of it. So there is no amount of pain, no amount of suffering, no measure of affliction that Jesus hasn't already suffered through. And he suffered through all of it for you and for me so that we could come to the Father through him and have a place in eternity for all who believe. So when we say Christ is with you and to take heart because he has overcome it, it's not just a simple word of encouragement. It's a declaration of victory. The very same savior that went through all of that promises to be with us to the end of the age. And when we leave this life entering into his presence for all eternity, the pain and suffering that we endured in this life, it will prepare for us something beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What a hope we have in Christ. What a hope we have, knowing that no matter what affliction we encounter in this life, we know that it is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If in your, you're in this place this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you consider making that decision today? Would you put your trust in the Lord and trust him with your life? Because when affliction comes and it comes for all of us, you can rest in the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we have just spent time in your word practicing and seeing that your word provides comfort and instruction in the midst of affliction. You have given us hope that extend beyond this life in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. God, may we be ever mindful that when we encounter seasons of affliction, we should run to Jesus, run to your word, and seek instruction. Lord, we thank you for how you teach us in your word. We thank you for the love that you demonstrate to us by suffering in our place, by delivering us from sin, and Lord, for saving us. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.